Thank you, buddy. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, William. Well, good morning again, church. How are you? It's good to see you this morning. Hey, before I jump in, I do want to give a quick thank you uh, to everybody who made Trunk or Treat a huge success last week. We had a blast. Uh, there was a lot of ridiculousness out in the square. Uh, and listen, we, everything we prayed for, it came true. We had hundreds of people from all around the area uh, came through, got to reconnect with some people that I hadn't seen in a while. You might be here today because you came to Trunk or Treat. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, but so many of you, look at this, 27 trunks and games, so, many, so much candy that you guys donated 45 volunteers. You prayed for this event. We, we could not do this without everybody's help. Thank you uh, for just all of the work you put in and creating all those trunks. They were so creative. Uh, I mean, that was, listen, they were right next to us. That was amazing. Uh, look, there was just, there was so much fun there. Uh, it was incredible. Uh, and look, I hope it's inspired you to come be a part next year uh, for when we do this again, because it really is a great outreach event. Uh, and there's me as a blue banana. Uh, so... <laughs> Feel free to laugh. I did. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, it was just it was just a lot of fun. But thank you for everybody who came out and made this such a huge success. Um, one last thing before I, I do start for today, uh, wanted to have a moment of prayer. Many of you guys saw on our email thread, but uh, uh, our brother Gene Hopper uh, suffered a, a sudden heart attack this past week and went on to be with the Lord. Um, he's going to be buried uh, earlier this coming week. Uh, and listen, obviously in any type of sudden loss like this, there's a lot of pain um, as there would be in any loss, but certainly with a sudden loss. So we want to be praying for his wife, Anita, for his daughter, uh, or his daughter, Melissa, uh, all of the grandkids, and there are many uh, as they are coming to grips with this loss. And I wanted to make sure we had an opportunity to pray for them. So would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Heavenly Father, it is never... Uh, fun to say goodbye, even for a short time, to a brother or sister. And so, Lord, we are, we're just saddened uh, to have to say goodbye to Jean for a time. Lord, we're so thankful for the sa salvation that you bring and the hope that we have in you. Uh, Lord, we, in these moments especially, we need it. But Lord, as we wait to be reunited with him, Lord, there's just a lot of pain for, obviously, his wife, his daughter, his kids, his family, as we try to come to grips with a sudden loss. And so, Lord, we lift them up to you. We ask that you would surround them in your love. You would make your presence felt. You would use us in whatever way we can to come alongside them. And, Lord, not just this week as we're coming to grips with the immediacy of this news, but especially in the weeks and months to come. God, would you help us to surround them in your love and in your name until that day when you reunite us all together in your presence. But, Lord, we lift them up in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and ask your blessing upon them. And it's in your name that we pray, and we all said, amen, amen. Thank you for that. Grab your Bibles now, if you will. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 is where we're going to be in just a moment as we're continuing our sermon series called Walking Through the Valley. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 is where we're going to be in just a moment. While you were turning there, um, let me ask you a question. I wonder if you've ever had to put a brave face on something uh, where you got into a situation and you were feeling one thing on the inside, but you had to show another thing on the outside. And you just had to put a brave face on, even though that's not what you were feeling. Um, kids do not do this, by the way. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, small children do not put on a brave face. They will show you exactly what they're feeling. If they're mad, they will show you that they're mad. If they're hungry, they will tell you that they're hungry. If they're happy, you will know it because they're clapping their hands and smiling and singing a song, right? You're gonna know this with kids, but as you grow up, you realize that you can't do that at all times, 
right? At some points, you have to put on a brave face. And sometimes that's appropriate and sometimes that is not. But the one place where we all inevitably do this as Americans is when we experience grief. Americans are terrible at grief. We just are. We don't have a whole lot of rituals for it. The ones we have aren't very good. Uh, compared to other cultures who have very extensive rituals for understanding our pain and our grief, we, we just want to ignore it. We run from it. We do not like grief and we find ourselves paralyzed sometimes by it. And so we just put on a brave face. And that comes from a lot of different reasons. I mean, number one, grief is not fun. We understand that, right? Nobody enjoys grief. It is painful. It is not enjoyable. And so we want to get out of that as quickly as possible. And especially in America, where happiness is the cardinal value that we hold high above everything else, we say, Adam, grief takes away my happiness. I got to get back to happiness at all costs. And so we rush, we push, we try our hardest to, to leave grief in the rear view so we can try somehow to go back to being happy. It just doesn't work all that well, does it? Furthermore, we know that grief makes people uncomfortable, makes us uncomfortable. So we know that our grief is making other people uncomfortable, so we don't like that, and so we want to get over it. We don't want to show our grief. We don't like to make people uncomfortable in the midst of those things. Furthermore, you look fine. You might look at yourself and say, well, I feel fine. I, sure, people will give me a, a little bit of time after a, the immediacy of a loss, but it's been a week, it's been a couple weeks, and I look fine, so I'm, I'm fine, right? There's nothing physically wrong with me, so surely I should just get right back in it. I should jump right back in, and I'm okay, aren't I? Or maybe it's even our theology itself that shames us sometimes, where you say, Adam, I'm a Christian, I believe in the Lord. I believe he's gonna reunite me with my lost loved ones if they're in the Lord. God's gonna make all things right in the end. Adam, I believe these things. So if I, if I believe these things, shouldn't I just go ahead and trust him and, and move along? And all these things just kind of roil around inside of us. And what it does is it just pushes us to put on that brave face and to not actually deal with our grief, which is a problem because we're all gonna deal with grief, all of us. There's not a single person in here who is exempt from grief in this life. I wish that were not the case. I wish I could tell you there was a way to avoid it, but there isn't. If you live in this broken world like the rest of us, sooner or later, you are going to experience most likely some intense grief. And if you haven't, you will. And for many of us who have, it will likely happen again. This is part and parcel of living in a broken world. And look, and that can come through a lot of different avenues. First off, it usually comes through the loss of a loved one. Everyone will experience this sooner or later. If you live even a moderately long life, you will deal with the situation of having to say goodbye to a loved one because of death. And the longer that you live, the more that continues to happen. And it brings an intense pain to us, grief, loss. But that is not the only thing that causes grief, is it? Grief is not just caused by death. Grief is caused by any type of loss. You can experience intense grief when you experience the death of a dream or a job or a marriage or a relationship or a friendship. 
Maybe it's the loss of your home, the loss of your financial position, the, the, the loss of, uh, of just kind of your, your reputation maybe. There's, there's so many different things that, that you might find yourself wrestling with where there's this loss, there's this problem. You might end up losing your mobility or your ability due to an accident. You might begin to lose some of your memory. There's, there's all these different things where saying, hey, I had this thing and now I don't. It was taken away and it's not coming back. There is a loss. And when you experience that loss, there's going to be grief. And so I want to ask a very important question today that we need to have an answer for, and it is this. Is it okay for us to grieve as Christians? And if so, how do we do that? That's the question we need to answer today. Is it okay for us to grieve as Christians? And if so, how do we actually do that? And that's why we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Before I read the verse, let me kind of give you some context here. Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. Um, but this is a little bit later in his ministry. Many of the early Jesus, uh, Christian disciples thought that Jesus was coming back almost immediately. They thought he was coming back like in the next couple years, but the decades begin to stretch on, and now some of these early Christians are beginning to die. And that has brought up a crisis of faith. Okay, well, I thought Jesus was coming back. So what happens to these brothers and sisters who have already died before Jesus returns? Look what Paul tells them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, when Paul says falling asleep here, he's talking about death. But he says, for, all, for our brothers and sisters who have died, please don't think that they are somehow lost. No, when Jesus returns, he also rose from the dead. He is going to raise them from the dead as well. You don't need to worry about your brothers and sisters who have passed away. But he says something very specific in verse 13, and we need to be very clear about what it means. It says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, this is a great place to give a lesson in interpretation. Because based on where you put the commas in this verse, you can find yourself with a completely different meaning. Now, to complicate matters, there are no commas in Greek. There's actually no punctuation in Greek. So when you see commas in the English text, that's all stuff we put in there to translate it for us English speakers. But there is no punctuation there. So what happens if you put the comma in the wrong place? Some of us might want to put the comma after the word grieve, as if Paul is saying that you may not grieve, as others do who have no hope. If you put the comma there, then what you would say is, is that Paul is telling us, well, then that we actually shouldn't grieve. Because we have hope in Jesus Christ, because we know what he's going to do, we should not grieve because we have this hope in Jesus Christ. And let's be honest, that's what some of us believe. We might even tell ourselves that we're, what we're supposed to believe. Adam, I, I have this hope in Jesus, so if I do, I'm not supposed to grieve, am I? And is that what this verse is saying? And resoundingly, I need to tell you this morning, the answer is no. That's not what that verse is saying. He's not telling us not to grieve. He's simply saying, do not grieve as if you had no hope. You do have hope. 
And so we do not grieve as the lost do. We don't grieve knowing that this is the end and there's absolutely no reunion for those. There's no hope for our future. It's just dead, gone, ending, over. No, we're not like them. We have this hope. And so yes, we can grieve, but we grieve with hope. This is what he's saying in the verse. Now the question you should be asking yourself right now is, is like, okay, how do you know that's the proper interpretation? How do you know that's how we should read the verse? How, why do we know just from this verse that that's how we should take this verse? And the answer is, is because when you step back from this verse and you look at the entirety of scripture, you're gonna find grief from start to finish. You're gonna find godly men and women from the beginning to the end who grieve. It's everywhere. In fact, it's one of the major themes of the Bible that in this life, we will have to deal with grief. I mean, look, I'm not even gonna give you the full list, but let's talk about lots of them. There's, there's Job, we talked about him last week. Job, the righteous man who does nothing wrong and yet he suffers a loss of everything in his life. It's an unbearably tragic and unjust situation he finds himself in. And he, for chapters upon chapters, will, will pour out his grief to the Lord. And at the end of all of that, the Lord does not count that as sin. He does not rebuke Job because of his grief. He'll actually do quite the opposite. Secondly, when you look at people in scripture, especially grand personages who die, look at how long they grieve. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse eight. Let's go ahead and put that up there if you will. It says, and the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plain of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. When Moses dies, the entire nation of Israel mourns for 30 days. Not three, 30. They don't give them a couple of days off, have a funeral and get back to life. They spend a month weeping and mourning over their lost leader. You see this in the Psalms throughout. The Psalms are filled with lament. We're gonna look at those in just a few minutes, but it's not just one or two. There are dozens of Psalms where the writers are pouring out their grief unto the Lord. There's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. Lamenting. You could literally call it grievings, weepings. It's an entire book of the Bible. That's all this book really does. Jesus affirms this in the Beatitudes. Look at Matthew chapter five, verse four. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. He doesn't say don't mourn, you'll be comforted. He says, no, blessed are you when you mourn. He affirms that mourning is a part of our experience. Jesus exemplifies this. He weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. He weeps over Jerusalem and he'll weep in the garden of Gethsemane. He himself is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And then there's Paul, Paul, who is writing this letter to the Thessalonians. Look at how he responds in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 36. It says, and when Paul said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul knows that he's boarding a ship, most likely to his death in Rome. And so he tells this to his friends and they don't just say, well, we'll see you on the other side. They weep with him and he weeps with him. Why? Because this is painful. 
But all of this points towards Revelation, and we've looked at this before, and we have to keep this in mind for our hope. Look what it says in Revelation 21, verses three and four. This is where God is taking us. This is his design for our future. He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Did you catch that? The former things. In our future glory, there's not gonna be any of this anymore. We're not gonna have to worry about it. But as we are still here in the midst of those former things, there is going to be crying and mourning and pain. It is a part of being in this world. And so Paul is not saying do not grieve. He's saying, yes, you can grieve. But here's the second half of that. He says grieve, but we grieve with hope. We don't grieve as the world does. We don't grieve as if there is no hope. No, Jesus Christ has given us hope. Jesus Christ died and he rose again. He lives today. He has conquered death and hell. And if you are in Jesus Christ, you are in him, in that resurrection, and he will raise you too. This is the hope that every single one of us has as a believer in Jesus Christ. So he says, yes, you can grieve, but you grieve with hope. He's not saying, don't grieve, remember the end. Instead, what he's saying is grieve, don't forget the end. Yes, grieve. But don't grieve as if you don't have hope. You have hope. It's not an either or, it's a both and. The Lord is not saying just grieve because there's no hope. He's not saying have hope, but don't grieve. He says, no, we can grieve with hope. So even though we have this hope, what we recognize is, is when you and I go through pain, it hurts. When we go through trials, it hurts. And we don't have to ignore that. In fact, we can honestly acknowledge that this is painful and that is okay. I've noticed this weird thing over the past 10 years. Uh, I've done a lot of funerals for different people and I've noticed this at some funerals where um, people are going to great lengths to try to pretend that we're not hurting. You ever seen this? Where people say, we're not gonna have a funeral, we're gonna have a wake. Right, let's not make it sad, let's make it a party. Or they say, we're not gonna have a funeral, we're gonna have a celebration of life. Right? Let's just talk about the good things. Let's just celebrate the good things. Let's just talk about the good things. And I kind of get where that's coming from. But do you see what's happening? It's almost like we're trying to ignore the fact that we're in pain, that this is hard. But it is. Can, can, I, can I ask something selfish for just a moment? Listen, when I die, I hope you're sad at my funeral. <laughs> I do. I hope you're sad when I go. Especially if I die suddenly, I, I can hope you're, I mean, I'm, I'm sad. I miss that guy. I hope you're actually sad when I go. And I'll give you this promise. I'm gonna be sad at yours. Kept it together, the service. Look, it's not lost on me that I'm gonna do some of your funerals. And I'm not gonna enjoy it. I'm gonna be sad at your funeral. Because it's a loss. I'll see you again but it's a loss and that hurts and it is okay to say so. It is not a denial of our faith to admit that we live in pain at different seasons of our life. Even though we know there's hope in the future, it doesn't change the fact that it still hurts now. So if it's okay to grieve then, 
then how do we do that? How do we actually grieve as believers in this world? And I want to give you a few different ways that we can do that. The first thing we must do if we're going to grieve with hope is this. We've got to be honest. We've got to be honest. We need to be honest about our feelings and honest about the experience of pain when you and I experience it. Many of you have already walked through intense pain in your life. And so you understand this. When you go through grief, your feelings are everywhere. They're all over the map. And you are not in control of them. You can try to be. It won't help. Maybe you've heard of the stages of grief before where they talk about anger and denial and depression and bargaining until ultimately you get to some sort of acceptance. Here's the thing. That's not a process that you just go step by step through. It cycles. And one day you're here, the next day you're here, and then you might be over here. Maybe you go back to the one that you had before and you don't know when it's going to shift or how it works. And you can't force your heart to go in a certain direction. Your heart is just all over the place. That's just the experience of grief. That's what it looks like. And we need to be okay with that. You guys know that I quote C.S. Lewis a lot. He's probably influenced my theology more than anybody. Um, he's given us a lot of gifts in his books, but probably one of the greatest gifts he gave is a, is a book called A Grief Observed. Some of you know the story of C.S. Lewis. Maybe you don't. C.S. Lewis was a, a writer uh, and a, an Oxford professor over in England in the 20th century. Um, he was a lifelong bachelor. Uh, he wrote a ton of books. He was an amazing Christian theologian. Uh, but was a bachelor until uh, towards the very end of his life. But at the end of his life, he met a woman named Joy Davidman. Uh, they had struck up a friendship for many years. Um, but there came a point where he realized he wanted to marry her. Uh, Joy had cancer at the time. And so when he married her, he knew he might only have a short amount of time. Uh, but once they got married, the cancer went into remission. And for two and a half years, they had a, a great time until the cancer came back with a vengeance uh, and she died. And in the aftermath of that, uh, Lewis doesn't write a book. Um, he wrote his experience of his grief down in four journals that were later collected and published as this book called A Grief Observed. He actually published it under a pen name so people wouldn't know it was him. And after his death, they finally put his name attached to it. Here's the great thing about it, though. It's unedited. He doesn't go in and clean it up. You just get his unvarnished experience of what he went through. And so you get quotes like this. Um, he says, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, same restlessness, the yawning. I keep on swallowing. Never experienced that? Here's another one. It says, at other times it feels like being mildly drunk or concussed. There's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says or perhaps hard to want to take it in. It's so uninteresting. Yet I want the others to be about me. I dread the moments when the house is empty. If they would only talk to one another and not to me. You ever felt that way before in grief? You really don't want to be alone, but you also don't want anybody to talk to you. You're tired of talking about it. You don't want to talk about it, but you really don't want anybody to go anywhere. You also feel like you're disconnected from yourself, almost like you're watching yourself sleepwalking through life and you know it's you, but it's not you and you don't feel yourself. These are the feelings of grief. 
The worst part about grief, though, is this. When you and I are in the throes of intense grief, it is very hard, if not impossible, to hear the Lord. When you and I are in intense grief, it is very hard to hear the Lord clearly. This is what Lewis said of his experience. Look what he says here. But go to him when your need is desperate and when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. He said, here's what prayer feels like to me. I feel like I'm going to my friend's house. There's lights on. I'm going to see an open door and be invited in. But when I get up there and ring the doorbell, all the lights go out and they bolt the doors and they get real quiet. That's how I feel God is with me right now. And many of you in the middle of your grief, you've experienced that too. And that is the most confusing part, is it not? But I need God. Where is he in the middle of this? Look, one of the reasons that this happens is that when you and I go through grief, it is as if an emotional bomb has gone off nearby you. Think about that for just a moment. Imagine if a bomb went off near you. Okay, you're uninjured, but a bomb just went off. How would you feel in the next few moments? You would have been thrown down by the blast and so you you don't really know what's happened. It happened so suddenly and you're just trying to figure out what is going on. Your ears are ringing and you can't even hear anything. They're barely conscious of what is happening but you're you're trying to get your bearings around you and as you do, maybe maybe a friend comes up to to check on you. Are you okay? And you can see their mouth moving but you cannot hear them because your ears are ringing so much and you're just trying to figure out what has happened. That's grief because a bomb has gone off and you're disoriented. You're not okay. You're not seeing things clearly. God could be right here talking to us and we wouldn't hear him because we're concussed emotionally and we don't know how to take in what is happening. And you might say, yeah, but Adam, that's just Lewis's experience. I don't know if that happens for everybody. Actually, Lewis is in some pretty good company. Because when you look through the pages of scripture, you find a ton of people who went through the exact same thing. I wanna show you some things, verses out of scripture of different people of how they speak to the Lord in the midst of their grief. Let's look at Gideon in the book of Judges, chapter six, verse 13. And Gideon says to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and has given us into the hand of Midian. Why did God let this happen? You ever ask that? Gideon did. Here's Job. Job 19, verse 7. Behold, I cry out, violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there's no justice. There's no justice when I cry. There's no justice in this situation. Here's Jeremiah, chapter 14, verse 9. Why should you be like a man confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot save? Yet you are Lord and in the midst of us, we're called by your name. Don't leave us. Look what he just said to God. Why are you like a mighty warrior who can't do anything? It's bold. Here's some of the psalmists. We talked about those laments before. Psalm 6, verse 6 and 7. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Here's another one. Here's Psalm 10, verse one. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? 
Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The time I need you most, why are you hidden? Is what the psalmist says. Here's Psalm 13, one of my favorites. Verses one and two. How long, O Lord, are you gonna forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Here's Psalm 77. Psalm 77, which incidentally does not have a happy ending. Verse eight says this, has the steadfast love of the Lord ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Has our God forgotten how to be gracious? And then here's Psalm 102, multiple verses. He says, for my days pass away like smoke. My bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on a housetop. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. If you have ever experienced any semblance of depression, you resonate with those verses, do you not? Because that's how it feels. You don't know what to do with them. And so what do we do with this? Well, it helps us understand we need to be honest. When it comes to our feelings of grief, we don't hide it. We don't shove it down. We don't pretend it's not there. We need to actually acknowledge that this is painful. We need to acknowledge that we don't enjoy this. We don't understand. We we don't know where God is. And it's okay to say so. For some of us, you say, Adam, I I didn't know that was in there. I thought if I said things like that, God would just kill me. Is it even possible to say that? And here are all these biblical writers all across the scriptures pouring out their grief to the Lord. It is okay to be honest about the grief that we experience. It is okay to be honest about the pain that we feel. You can talk about it. You don't have to ignore it. It actually does happen to believers like it does to everybody else. But it starts with being honest. Here's the second thing. We need to be prayerful. We need to be prayerful. Do you know what the most amazing thing is about all those verses that I just read to you? They're prayers. They're not just talking out into the ether. They're talking to the Lord. They're not just angry by themselves. No, they're bringing their complaint to the Lord. They said, God, where are you? God, have you forgotten this? God, have you abandoned me? God, God, where are you? These are hard things to say, but look at who they're saying them to. He says, I'm talking to you, God. God, where are you? I am talking here. And that is exactly what we need to do. When you and I face grief, we bring them to the Lord. Because here's the other extraordinary thing about these verses. God didn't edit them out of scripture. He could have. He could have said, hey, 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 remember who you're talking to. Hey, you've said some really good things there, David. Uh, Got some good songs. This one we're gonna leave on the cutting room floor. This is not good enough. This is not okay. Here's what the Lord God of the universe said when hearing these kind of questions thrown at him. He said, put it in my holy scriptures and pass it down for millennia. Let people know that this is the word of the Lord. Let them know that when they experience pain, you can absolutely bring that to me. And you should. I invite it. The God of the heavens, when you and I experience pain, he says, you can be honest with me but you need to bring it to me. Be prayerful. 
The worst thing you can do is just to stop talking to the Lord to try to figure this out on your own. No, when you, you feel these things, you don't have to tell God what you think he wants to hear or what you're supposed to say. You can be honest about your feelings, but speak to him. Because the more you speak to him and spend time with him, what you'll find out is that over time, God is healing your heart, but that can't happen if you don't actually bring your heart to him in the first place. So we need to be honest. We need to be prayerful. We need to stay in the presence of the Lord. Here's the third thing. We need to be gracious to yourself. You need to be gracious to yourself. We all grieve in different ways. We're not the same. We have different personalities. We have different temperaments. We have different ages. We have different experiences in life. And based on all of those things, when it comes to grief, we're we're probably not gonna grieve exactly like somebody else will. You're not gonna grieve like your spouse will. You're not gonna grieve like your parents will. You're not gonna grieve like your your favorite leader will. You're you're different and that is okay. And we need to, to give ourselves some patience, give ourselves some grace when it comes to our grief. We're going to grieve, but it might not look like everybody else. And and that's okay. God will deal with us where we are. We talked uh, for the past couple weeks about uh, the death of Lazarus and how Jesus shows up and to comfort his uh, two remaining sisters, Mary and Martha. They both come to Jesus and say the exact same thing. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Same statement said to Jesus. And Jesus will react in two totally different ways to the two sisters. Same statement different reaction. Why? Because they're two different people with two different temperaments. And so he meets each of them where they're at. And the Lord will do that to you too. Don't try to force yourself to do what somebody else did or react how they're reacting. You're going to react how you are going to react, but you can't ignore this pain. Let yourself feel it. It's okay to recognize I'm still hurting. Ignoring it is not going to help. Imagine if you had a broken leg and you tried to ignore it. You got a broken leg. I'm good. I'll walk it off. Good for you. Let's see how that turns out. What could go wrong? Well, it's going to go terribly wrong. You're going to make the break worse. You're probably going to need surgery now. It's probably going to require more invasive problems. It could, you could lose the leg if you just ignore it. Hey, don't ignore your pain. Acknowledge it. Give yourself some grace. You're hurting. We all hurt. Everybody hurts. It's going to happen. You need to be patient with yourself. Here's the fourth thing. We need to be present. We need to be present. What that means is is we need to experience whatever we're experiencing in the moment. There's this misconception about grief when we go through grief, that grief is, when something terrible happens, it's almost like this mountain of grief has erupted. And what will happen is, is that day by day, we just start coming down the mountain. And sooner or later, we'll have gotten down in, back into the valley and we can go on with life as normal. But that's not how grief works. Grief is not a mountain. Grief is waves. Grief is not going to be one singular experience. It's going to hit you like waves. When something terrible happens, this, this wave erupts and we're going to feel all of that, but then we're going to come down the side of the wave. And at some point in probably the very near future, another wave will come up and you'll feel the intensity of that grief again. And then in a few hours or maybe in a couple of days, you'll find yourself feeling better. And then guess what happens? Another wave will come up. Sometimes out of nowhere. Sometimes at times you're not expecting or you don't understand but you'll feel another wave again. 
and then you'll come down on the thing. See, if you think wave is like a mountain, you're gonna freak out at every wave. You're gonna go, oh no, I gotta start all over again. Oh no, I'm back at the top of the mountain. I'll never get off of this thing. But it, it's not a mountain, it's just a wave. And so God doesn't want you to come down the mountain. He wants you to ride the waves. Just ride the waves. When you find yourself experiencing grief, don't ignore it. Just experience it because it's gonna be temporary. You're gonna come down the other side quicker than you think. It's gonna be okay for a bit before another wave comes. But look, the waves come for a while. They won't all be so tight together. Over time, the waves do kind of stretch out and they're not nearly as tall as they were at top, but but they're gonna keep happening for months and years. I can almost guarantee you're gonna experience a wave on the anniversary of a loss. If you've lost a loved one, you might find that that very same time of year, you find yourself grieving again, just out of nowhere. And you go, why am I grieving? Oh, oh, it's the anniversary, I forgot. Alice and I went through a tragedy in October a few years ago, and now I hate October because it's gonna hit us every October, at least a little bit, whether we like it or not. It's an anniversary. And look, the waves continue to come, but you can ride them. You just go through them. Don't ignore it. Don't try to pretend it's not there. Just say, oh, I'm better than this. Just go through it. Because here's the great news. God will ride the waves with you. He's in the boat with you. He knows what this feels like. He is with you in the boat, whether you feel it or not, whether you know it or not, he's in the boat with you. And so ride the waves with him and he will carry you through every single one. You'll get through quicker than you think. Just ride the waves, don't ignore them. Here's the fifth thing. We need to look for Jesus and not answers. We need to look for Jesus and not answers. When it comes to tragedy in our life, there is one question that everybody will ask. It is a one-word question. It's the same question everybody asks throughout all cultures. When something bad happens, we ask the question, why? Everybody does that. Philip Yancey wrote a book, Why? The question that never goes away. We all want to know why. Why? Why me? Why them? Why now? Why, why, Why is this happening to me? We want to know the answer to the question, why? And here's the sad truth. We're not, we're not going to get that answer. We're not. I don't even know if God could explain it to us. But here's the thing I think we all need to ponder. Would it matter if he could? Would it really actually matter if I could give you the answer? Would you actually feel any better if I could tell you the reason? The answer is no. What if God told me, I know why this tragedy happened in your life. It's this. Wouldn't change the fact that they're gone. Wouldn't change the fact that this is hard. Wouldn't change the fact that it's difficult. The answers aren't gonna help us. So instead of looking for answers, what if we just look for the Lord? Because you can find him. He is with you in the midst of us. He is not gonna leave you or forsake you. He is here and will not leave. You absolutely can find the Lord in the midst of your pain. And look, that's what Lewis found too. A little bit later in his grief journey as he's going through it, look what he says here. He says, when I lay these questions before God, I get no answer, but a rather special sort of no answer. It's not the locked door. It's more like a silent, certainly not uncompassionate gaze as though he shook his head, not in refusal, but waving the question, like, peace, child, you don't understand. You see, he's not at the locked door anymore. He now recognizes it's, it's not that God can't answer. He's like, he's, I, I, 
Well, I can't. I can't explain it to us, but I'm here. I am with you. I'm not going anywhere, and I love you. This is the hope we have in Jesus Christ. So instead of looking for answers, why don't we look for the Lord instead? But this is maybe the most important one, and it's this, is we need to be hopeful. We need to be hopeful. That's really the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, yes, we're going to grieve, but we grieve with hope. We don't grieve as the rest of the world. We don't grieve as the lost do. We grieve, but we have hope, and this makes the pain bearable because there is hope in Jesus Christ. And look, you need that hope. We must have this hope. We, we have to have this hope if we are to survive, if we are to endure. But this is where you find out what you really believe, isn't it? Because look, if you're a, a random cultural Christian who grew up in church and you just have some vague idea that Jesus is nice and you're a generally good person, when pain comes into your life, it is gonna crush you. Because that kind of belief is not gonna help you at all. When pain enters in and wrecks our life, we need to know that this is the case. My Savior lived and he really died. And then a miracle occurred. God conquered death. And he is alive today. I don't believe in some vague afterlife. I know without a doubt that my Savior lives and he is preparing a place for me and he will not let me go. And I will see this with my eyes. I believe in the life of Jesus Christ. If you don't have that hope Pain will crush you. It'll crush you. But if you have that hope, you're gonna endure almost anything. And look, you need this hope because if you don't have that hope, you will find another way to cope. If you don't have hope in Jesus Christ, you will find a way of dealing with the pain. The pain is unbearable. We gotta find a way to bear it. You will find another way of dealing with the pain, but it will not work out well. You'll drink yourself into a stupor. You tell yourself you're in control, but you're not. You're just trying to numb the pain until the pain controls you. Or you'll become a workaholic. You'll throw yourself into work so you don't have to think about your pain anymore or your family or anybody else. You'll just work, 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 assuming that that's gonna kind of fill whatever hole was caused. You just become a, a workaholic so you don't have to deal with these things anymore. Or you just get real busy. You run and run and run and run and run. Don't dare look behind you to see what that thing is back there. Just run as far as you can. Put it in the rear view and forget about it as if it doesn't happen. Or you'll give in to the fear. You'll become so fearful for everybody around you. You now know that loss is possible. You'll be so afraid of losing anything else. You will put a vice grip on everyone trying to hold on to them, knowing that you can't fully protect them and the feel, fear will overcome you. Or you'll try to fix everybody around you instead of taking a look at yourself. You'll try to fix anything and everything that's around you. Or you'll get angry and you'll let the anger and the bitterness turn into hatred and it will calcify your heart and you will never have love again. Or you'll just choose to say, I don't care. I'm not gonna feel this pain anymore. I'll never be hurt again. I just don't care about anything because if you don't care about anything, you can't be hurt when it's gone. I just refuse to care about anything and you lose your soul in the process. This is what we will do if we do not have hope in Jesus Christ. But if you know the hope of the Lord, you can endure regardless of whatever grief there is. This is what happens in the book of Lamentations, by the way. If you don't know the story, Jeremiah is a prophet. He preaches for decades and tells the people, if you do not repent, the Lord is going to level everything. He's gonna destroy the city. Well, they don't repent, 
and God levels the city. Now look, when you say something like that out loud, that sounds vaguely historical. Think about the scenes that you're watching on your screens from Israel and Palestine and think about what it might mean for God to level a city. Jeremiah walked around the ruins of Jerusalem seeing the dead bodies of his friends and seeing the destruction of everything around him and it broke him. And he writes a five-chapter book called Lamentations. And it's just his grief poured out to the Lord of how terrible this is and how much he hates it. But in the very middle of the book of Lamentations, you get some very famous verses. It's literally in the dead center of the book. The, the first two and the last two chapters have the exact same number of verses. The third chapter is the, the, the longest. And here's it right in the middle. Look what it says. He says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. But here's the trick. That's not the end of the book. Do you know what happens after chapter three? Two more chapters of grief. It's as if, all you can see is a darkened horizon, a cloudy sky, and just for a moment, the clouds part, and you see this shaft of sunlight come in, and then after that moment, the clouds kind of close up again. But you now have the reminder that the sun is still there. That's the hope you gotta hang on to. A couple weeks ago, Alice and I took our daughter Rose on our first plane trip. And I'm a new parent, and so figuring this out, you guys probably know this, but you, you learn things all over again with your kids, right? Things that you and I take for granted, they're experiencing for the very first time, and so you kind of get to experience it all over. And so it's the first plane trip, and uh, for one of our flights, everything was overcast. And so horizon, horizon, you just see clouds, but you guys can see where this is going. We, 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 we take off, and then as soon as you punch through that cloud layer, everything's super sunny up there. It's like, this, why, was, why wasn't the sun down there? Well, the clouds had, had covered it up, but... The sun never stops shining. That's what you and I have to remember in the midst of our grief. If you're grieving today, it probably just feels like there's just clouds from horizon to horizon. You're thinking to yourself, I'll never be the same again. I'll never be happy again. It'll never be good again. Look at, in all directions, all I see are clouds, but the sun is still shining. Our savior is alive. Death has been defeated. And there comes a day when the clouds will part and you and I will live in his glorious light forever. You gotta remember that even when you can't see the sun, he is absolutely there. And that hope carries us on until the day where Jesus dispels all the clouds and all the pain and restores us fully. This is how you and I can have hope even in the midst of grief. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. We're about to close in worship and look, I don't know where you're at today. In a room this large, I know that we all put our brave faces on when we came in, but I imagine there's, there's some of us here and maybe more than we might think who are dealing with acute pain right now. Or maybe even just this topic brings up pain from the past few months or years that we're still trying to deal with because grief lasts that long. And for all of us, whether we have endured pain, are enduring pain, or we will, there's, there's an opportunity for us to say, Jesus, I choose to trust you. Even when I can't hear you or feel you, 
you love me and you are good, just like we sang earlier. And so Jesus, even in the midst of my pain, I choose to trust you. He has felt it. He understands. And he has promised never to let you go. And so for wherever you are, instead of giving in to all the worldly ways of coping, could we choose today to put our trust in the Lord and say, Jesus, help me. And even when I can't hear your answer, I will follow after you, you because you are good. And so Father, help us. Speak to us. Comfort us. I pray for anybody here, Lord, who's in the throes of grief. God, we hate it, but so do you. And so, Father, help us. Speak to us. Give us the comfort that we need. And, Father, day by day, we'll keep talking to you. You might heal us, ride the waves with us to get us back out on calm seas, clear skies, and the hope that you promised for each and every one of us. Lord, we long for that day, but until then, we will choose to trust you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray.